Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2022's theme is Future Proof. This month's topic is Vegan Beauty, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. At its core, veganism is a way of living in which people exclude as much as possible all forms of animal cruelty and exploitation. For the beauty industry, veganism has become a product category that in recent years has been positioned alongside but not separate from organic beauty, clean beauty, natural beauty, bio-based beauty, plant-based beauty, sustainable beauty. In this ever so confusing marketing mashup, how will vegan beauty maintain its niche and preserve its ethical, health and environmental credentials in the future? To help me ask these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce you to this month's panel of experts. Hello to Anna Barker, Head of Responsibility Business at Fairtrade Foundation. A warm welcome to Katie Newwin, Technical Sales at Inelex. And a warm welcome back to Anna Brightman, Co-Founder at Upcycle Beauty. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for having me here today. How exciting. Thanks so much for having us. Great to be here. Let's start. At the Fair Trade Foundation, Anna, what are the current social drivers you have been tracking that are implementing the future proofing of vegan beauty? Great. Thanks, Siobhan. Um, yeah, so I mean, the way that we look at this from the Fair Trade Foundation, um, there's kind of two perspectives that we look at the future proofing of vegan beauty um, and the beauty industry more broadly. Um, one is from the market side. So what is consumer demand? How is that driving the future of uh, vegan beauty? What are the sort of social characteristics we're seeing there? Um, and another is, of course, the drivers on the ground itself um, in the supply chains. I think starting there from our side from fair trade, what we're seeing is across the ingredients that we certify and work with um, that are very sort of predominant in vegan beauty and beauty more broadly. These include products like shea butter, but also cocoa butter, olive oil, coconut oil, a variety of different ingredients that go into the cosmetics uh, products uh, that we know and love. Um, and again, these are common in uh, vegan products because of course there's, there's kind of not associated with um, animal uh, exploitation or harm in any way, but they are associated with social problems. And I think this is where looking at the future of these supply chains is really important because where you're seeing kind of quite profound social issues, there's no guarantee of the supply or availability of these ingredients in the future. And I'll speak to that a little more later regarding the environment, but from the social side, the kind of challenges you're looking at are really low incomes. Um, so the prices of some of these ingredients, which might surprise a lot of listeners who pay a bit more for their beauty regime are actually very low. Um, so often the farmers who are working incredibly hard to extract one of these ingredients and process it, and there's a lot of processing required to make that um, product applicable to the skin and to kind of really bring out the health benefits. And um, they're often not earning a fair return on that work that they're doing. Um, you see issues around gender in particular, so it could be even more challenging for a woman. Um, so shea butter, for example, um, that's associated with kind of women going out 
and wild harvesting the shea nut um, and then bringing that back. And then, you know, they've got long, long hours of um, burning fires, which has huge health risks for them. And then actually needing that to create the butter itself, which also gives them a lot of health issues. Um, and so that can be really, really challenging for women in particular, as well as on the flip side, also being a huge opportunity for empowerment for these women's cooperatives, uh, particularly looking at West Africa, for example, for shea butter. Um, there's also a challenge with kind of the future of who's going to um, kind of harvest these ingredients in the future. So where, you know, the youths are seeing that there's a very low return and they're not getting, you know, a huge income associated with this product. It's incredibly high work, hard work and there's health and safety risks that really disincentivizes youth from going into them. So they're looking, they're moving into cities and they're looking for service jobs or they're migrating or there's other um, industries they want to work in. And that combined with the fact that for often uh, these producer groups lack access to credit, which means that they're often not able to get the financial support that they need to invest in their businesses, to upgrade their equipment, to be able to work more efficiently. Um, they're just not seeing lots of people want to work in harvesting these. Um, and therefore, there is a real risk that in the future, as the vegan, vegan beauty market kind of booms, there might not be availability of supply um, and what that will naturally do is push the price up um, and that might then be a real challenge for some of these businesses who are sourcing ingredients like this, um, you know, for their vegan beauty products. Um, at the same time, in terms of social drivers that match that is we are seeing a real demand um, from people who want to buy ethically sourced um, beauty products and also vegan ones. So we know from our own research with Globescan at Fairtrade that 91% of um, beauty and wellness product buyers say that they trust the fair trade mark so they're looking for that when they're going shopping for their beauty products um, and 68% said they're more likely to buy a product when they know a firm earns a fair price so for us we're kind of seeing these two different social drivers one is that the market wants this they want to buy it ethically they want to make sure it's well sourced and the other is that it's a really challenging supply chain um, with big social issues for those who are working hard to produce these ingredients and if we're not prepared to invest back in them then there's just no guarantee that those ingredients will be there for the future. Indeed. And talking booming market, Katie, what social drivers have Inelex been tracking? Um, from my point of view, for years, it was mainly health and animal rights that were the key motivators. But I've noticed a pattern that countries like Germany and the UK, where I live, and that Inolex serves as well, they are driven by ethical reasons and morals. And by that, I mean advocacy for cruelty-free products, climate change, and sustainability contributions in a way. Another social driver in general would be the COVID-19 pandemic. During the pandemic, I feel like the demand for plant-based everything has accelerated. Now, was it because of people having enough time to educate themselves, you know, educate themselves on what vegan truly means? Maybe people started having time to try what they have been considering for a long time. Maybe they finally had more time to track transparency of the products that they are purchasing, which is another social driver heavily dominating in the cosmetic industry nowadays and at Inelex as well. And that's the transparency of the products we buy. Consumers scrutinize ingredients much more carefully. They become more informed through social media, and therefore they question product ethics more deeply. 
Last social driver, I think, is I've noticed from our marketing department and many vegan brands I work with as a sales associate that veganism is one of the most fast spreading trends. Yes, the community is still only about 5% of the whole population, but they can be quite vocal and influential with their principles. And it's like a domino effect for the rest of the population. We can only expect rise of veganism. People leading vegan lifestyle naturally inclined to vegan-based beauty as well. And that's directly proportionate. If this group of people expands, then the customers of vegan beauty products also skyrocket. I'm talking expansion, what are the social drivers up Circle Beauty have been tracking? So most recently, we've actually been addressing the uh, current cost of living crisis that we are all facing uh, and sort of assessing the impact that that might have on people's ethical purchasing choices in a situation where obviously pay is falling at the fastest rate ever recorded and inflation rates uh, inflation rates are at a 40-year high. So in order to try to understand the impact that this crisis is having on our audience and the ways in, in, in which that impacts their choices with regards to purchasing products and the values alongside that. We recently conducted a research panel with YouGov uh, to see, based on set questions that we asked, how people uh, within the UK population are changing their habits with their skincare purchases. Uh, and this enabled us as a brand to come up with sort of five cost of living commitments uh, that we've put in place across uh, our brand in order to help our community access skincare that is in alignment with their values, which of course often uh, vegan products come into that. Um, so it was really interesting some of the things that we found out through this research, because obviously this is still this is kind of a, something that's happening right now. Um, but you know, some of the things that we found out, for example, include the fact that one in five people in the UK are worried about being able to afford skincare products due to the rising cost of living. This number rises to one in three people for those aged 18 to 25 within the UK. Also, one in six people are worried about being able to afford sun protection products due to the rising cost of living. Of course, this is a very worrying statistic, given the serious health implications of not wearing SPF, particularly during uh, you know, the heat waves that we've been uh, experiencing recently, and obviously the impact of global warming. Um, so we're currently offering free SPF samples on all upcircle orders. Uh, one in four people have either decreased their spending or stopped purchasing skincare products entirely since the start of the cost of living crisis uh, began. So those that identify as male, interestingly, are twice as likely than females to have completely stopped purchasing skincare. So again, when you factor in the fact that vegan products are often more expensive, this shows that the impact of that may well be that people are resorting to purchasing more non-vegan products than they might have done in more recent times. And again, you know, there's lots of um, information that we found, but one of the most compelling, I think, is that almost a quarter of the UK are more concerned about the condition of their skin since before the cost of living crisis. And those aged 25 to 34 are the most concerned of all age groups. So whilst a younger audience, as we're now all quite familiar, are those that are most intrinsically linked with purchasing products um, that are in alignment with their values, a younger audience, a younger consumer is uh, extremely knowledgeable and looking for transparency and willing to uh, boycott a brand if, if their values aren't in alignment with their own. Actually, this age group, uh, more so than ever before, are facing 
concerns around the accessibility of products that are in alignment with those values. So this is um, one of the key areas that we've been looking at as a brand in very recent times, trying to understand uh, the impact that the kind of broader climate of, of what's going on in the world might be impacting topics like uh, veganism in skincare. Interesting. And at the Fair Trade Foundation, Anna, what are the digital tools assisting the future proofing of vegan beauty? Great, thanks, Siobhan. And just a comment, I think, also on some of the statistics there that um, Anna Brightman shared, which are so interesting as well, is just that we're seeing those trends across all markets. So also just reflecting some of the drivers of the future of vegan beauty, um, thinking about somewhere like Ghana that produces a lot of shea butter that goes into such a large part of the beauty industry. Um, inflation's running there at 27%. Um, and, you know, these are groups who are already very vulnerable uh, and dealing with COVID-19 and now are dealing with inflation and cost of living crisis there. So so it's just so interesting to see how linked it is between the markets and the supply chains. Um, but regards to your question, Siobhan, in terms of digital tools, yeah, so again, taking quite a supply chain focused um, look at this as fair trade. Um, there's a few ways we're kind of using uh, digitalization to um, future-proof supply chains in this space. Um, so taking cocoa butter, for example, which is obviously, again, very popular in lots of uh, skincare products, um, we have partnered with a few organizations to really look into where is cocoa being produced? How does that link into the forested areas in certain countries? So cocoa heavily associated with deforestation, largely driven by very low prices and farmers trying to um, you know, recoup more land to grow more cocoa to sell because they're not able to receive a fair return on existing land. Um, it's kind of become quite a big topic in the industry uh, with much higher awareness, which is great. Um, but the challenge for cocoa in particular is you were talking about uh, family farms and very small scale um, farming cooperatives who um, are very hard to necessarily get back into that level of detail to work out how do you know where the forested areas are how do they know and how do you empower farmers to have that knowledge but also then get the fair price back uh, for their cocoa production so they're not incentivized for deforestation um, so one of the initiatives we've done here is we've partnered with Earthworm Foundation. So this is looking at satellite imagery and using digital tools to map and overlay where cocoa farms are and whether they overlap with um, deforested areas or areas of conservation that we, you know, you don't want to see forestation happening in. Um, and then we can kind of zoom in on those farmers and work with them to support them and also really build and empower them to have that knowledge themselves. And similarly with FarmForce, um, which is a digital tracking tool, we've done, again, looking at Cocoa, um, which really helps Cocoa cooperatives who, are, when all these sort of small farmers come together under a cooperative umbrella so that they have, you know, a higher ability to negotiate in the supply chain working with them to have this data um, and this is something that's really important to us at fair trade is that digitalization in supply chains must benefit farmers ultimately they are businesses and they need to have access to their own data they need to own that data it's theirs in the first place um, and so we are looking at farm force to really make sure that farmers can see where the cocoa is that's coming from within their cooperative being able to track that back and again this then really helps with some of these environmental issues that i've spoken about earlier um, more broadly, we've also um, sort of been investing a lot in digitalization uh, as fair trade, and that's a key part of our strategy going forward. So we've done things like virtual trips, um, looking at flowers, for example, with the flower farms, we've digitalized so that we can show buyers around a flower farm to visit fair trade projects 
and see what's happening without necessarily needing to travel out to visit those flower farms um, so that we can really build that connection from a buyer to the producer, which is so important in kind of investing in sustainability in the space. Um, and more broadly, we're investing in kind of transparency and traceability solutions. Um, and I think looking at the future of beauty, that's only going to be more and more important as more brands, including vegan ones, want to tell the story of their product. Um, and as fair trade, we really want to broker that link between your farmer and your buyer so that you can tell that story and kind of using digital tools to help you do that. Amazing. And in Alex Katie, what digital tools are you using? So in general, in the UK, at least, there's a wide selection to choose from. They range from databases to apps, checking cosmetic ingredients, for example, Yuka. Then we've got digital scans like DNA Nudge or even blockchain technology services. At Inelex, we use Novi, which is an AI-driven platform where brands can access raw material data to evaluate either their existing products or to develop new formulations. A lot of similar third-party verifiers of standards and certifications help other companies to easily find ingredients that meet their criteria. And one of these criterions could be vegan, of course. And again, I'm going to mention the pandemic, which only accelerated the adoption of big data, analytics, machine learning technologies, and artificial intelligence by manufacturers all in order to explore the impact that these purchased products have on the planet. For existing products, what comes to my mind as a future-proofing digital tool is a company called Provenance, a software that verifies a wide range of sustainability claims. It's one of the first softwares to apply blockchain technology to supply chains with the initial thought to be founded almost 10 years ago in 2013. They enable physical products to come with digital passports. And these prove authenticity of the origin of the product. It's kind of like an auditable record. It consists of collecting the certifications, suppliers data, traceability, and auditor information, who verified it and when. Essentially, it is a proof that confirms all gathered data into a digital batch inside e-commerce environment. The purpose is for the brands to communicate their claims in a credible and trustworthy way to avoid greenwashing. So there are a lot of companies trying to do a fraction of what this company does. Initially, such software is allowed to distinguish synthetic materials from natural ones, but it's progressing to other claims, vegan being one of them. So this only proves that the offer of digital tools ranges and Yes, they still need some refinement, but I'm sure there will be no shortage to choose from in the future. Mm. And which digital tools is Upcycle Beauty using, Anna? Well, this is a really interesting question for us specifically as a brand, because for anyone who's not aware, we are very much a disruptor in the space and our focus is on circularity, as the brand name implies. So into every single one of our formulations, we're using upcycled ingredients that we've intercepted from different industries and different businesses that have totally different operations and kind of end goals to our own. Um, so my answer here is a kind of complex one because one of the main things that, well, you know, our supply chain is incredibly complicated and the traceability of every ingredient that we are working with uh, is twice as long because it's had a previous life 
that we weren't as involved in. So we've got lots and lots of systems and, and processes in place within our own operations to ensure that we are only ever working with ingredients that are very much in alignment with our own. Um, but one of the ways in which we do that is through, uh, you know, looking for certification. The irony of that is that most of our own products are not eligible for those same certifications because um, of the complexity of our supply chain and the fact that some of those ingredients are coming from so many different places. I can give an example of that to make this sound a little bit more tangible, uh, which is the coffee grounds that we use in our core uh, original kind of hero signature range. We collect that coffee from hundreds of coffee houses across London where we're based. Um, we choose those coffee shop partners based on their ethics. You know, are they fair trade? Where are they sourcing it from? Um, what about the other ingredients that they're using in their cafes? Are they using uh, plant-based milks, et cetera? Um, but in order for us to get certifications on our broader product, because over 50% of the formulation is made from that upcycled ingredient, uh, we would have to get every single one of those coffee shops to get the same certifications, which uh, is, is, is never, ever going to happen because they have different priorities to us. So it's it's a really difficult one. And um, some of these digital tools that do exist that have already been mentioned, you know, the likes of provenance uh, are particularly challenging for a brand like ours to appear on um, because we're almost penalized by that commitment to circularity and, and the future proofing that we are trying to do as a brand by taking the next step with regards to sustainability and trying to keep things in use that already exist. So of course, you know, we are on as many online directories as we possibly can be. We get the certifications that we can. Um, so we are Soil Association certified as a brand broadly. We're uh, on track to becoming B Corp. Uh, we're on track to becoming Vegan Society certified. Uh, we're also plastic negative certified, meaning that we fund impact projects based out in India that recover uh, multi-layered plastic from within 10 kilometers of the coast, et cetera, et cetera. So we do lots of work with regards to things like that. And then I think uh, something that's not been mentioned so far is the importance of uh, on-pack messaging and the use of QR codes through that. So with beauty specifically, it can be really difficult to communicate, you know, the values and the importance of the ingredients and the fact that those ingredients are vegan and, and how and why. Uh, but if you're selling an eye cream, which is like three centimeters by three centimeters by three centimeters, you've not got much space. So we've started incorporating QR codes into our packaging, which lead to more information on the wider initiatives that we're part participating in, um, in order to, you know, continue the conversation off pack, I suppose. Um, but whilst all of this stuff is happening online, and you only need to look at some of the online marketplaces that have been operating for a long time, and the shifts that they're having in the ways in which they're uh, sort of the hierarchy of their messaging, I suppose, and the ways in which people shop through online marketplaces that might have 100, 200 brands. Previously, it would all be done by kind of reputation of the brand or like in alphabetical order. Whereas now I feel like most of these online marketplaces are shifting that towards um, shopping by values. So you shop by, you kind of put the filter in on the website. So you'll only show products that are certified cruelty-free, certified vegan, um, only products that have completely plastic-free packaging or uh, only products that have only upcycled ingredients, et cetera. Um, so that's a really interesting shift that we've seen um, in online uh, websites and, and, and sales locations. But also I think um, there's still a lot of purchasing going on in real life brick and mortar stores. So one of the things that we're looking at at the minute is uh, putting QR codes onto as many of our packages as we can in order to explain more fully, like <laughs> you can see how many words I've used just in this answer to talk about the complexities of some of these things. Um, so we're doing a lot of bigger topic 
uh, initiatives in order to demonstrate uh, the wider work that we do. So QR codes are a great digital tool for that. Indeed, they are. And talking about complexities, at the Fair Trade Foundation, Anna, what are the current environmental drivers affecting the future-proofing of vegan beauty? Thanks, Siobhan. And I think um, I've touched on a few of these as I've gone along, but I think kind of the main ones we're seeing, again, looking at the supply perspective and availability of ingredients in the future and, and how do you make sure that your supply chain is um, sustainable, from an environmental perspective, there's, you know, one of the biggest ones is climate change um, and producers have got to face all of those social issues I've already spoken to regarding low prices and not earning a fair return. And now they've got the cost of living crisis and all of these other challenges. Um, but they were already battling climate change before, you know, inflation and all of these other costs went up um, for many, many years, uh, and it's continuing to get much worse for it. And it was set to see a huge challenge going forward. So again, looking at something like cocoa, um, you know, by 2050, 50% of the land currently used by cocoa won't be able to grow cocoa anymore because it will simply be too hot. Um, so I think that's one of the big challenges that we're seeing. And for, you know, a farmer that manifests in having very unpredictable seasons. So the rains don't come when it's meant to come. And then when they come, they're too heavy and that can wash a crop away. Um, you know, cotton, even though it's not necessarily in a beauty product itself, but very associated with the industry, um, it's been absolutely devastated by this issue with rains and not being able to harvest cotton when you're supposed to. And you've seen farmers where they've not been able to produce cotton at all for an entire a year. Uh, so the impact that that has for them and their families is absolutely enormous. And then, of course, you know, the supply issue that comes for the future proofing of that industry where they're simply not able to buy that product anymore. Um, very linked to that, again, is kind of good agricultural practices. And how do you support farmers to be more environmentally responsible? And I think the challenge you have here is that actually kind of some of the best agricultural practices either require capital, it, it's, it's expensive to change your production, um, you know, you've really got to invest in that. And as I've already said, you know, if you're not earning a fair return on what you're selling, then you simply don't have the money to be able to invest in environmentally friendly farming practices. Um, but also a lot of it is about knowledge and having that you know shared with you and evident so for many farmers are very nervous to change a farming practice because this is their entire livelihood and they're a family farm and they can't necessarily carry that risk so they need it demonstrated they need to know that this is going to work and they need that training um, and if they don't have access to that then that's really really difficult for them uh, and I think there's quite a few ways that you know you'll see this across all the ingredients associated with beauty and vegan beauty in particular um, you know coconuts can be very water intensive um, cocoa as I said with deforestation um, the use of fertilizers if you're not using organic beauty products then there's lots of issues there um, so that's something at fair trade you know we're really keen to work with businesses on and particularly with farmers we have local networks on the ground who train them up on these types of topics um, but we can only do that by businesses sourcing fair trade and that's what funds us to run those extension services with farmers directly um, and that's only a small percentage of the world's ingredients so it's a really challenging time looking at environmental drivers on the ground um, which feels almost ironic when you know the market's never been so into environmental issues and climate change and wanting to make sure businesses are behaving in the right way at this time so um yeah it can be uh, a bit of a contradiction in that sense mm. and what current environmental drivers are affecting inelex katie 
Well, I just wanted to agree with Anna Barker on the climate change. I remember I personally was shocked when I first found out that animal agriculture accounts for around 18% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Some research today shows it could be even over 80% annually. Now, I'm not saying turning vegan will save the planet because veganism does not cover all aspects of environmentalism, but removing animals from our supply chains and reducing our reliance on animal feedstocks, well, that can be one of the first steps to combating climate change. Again, it can be arguable that vegan does not necessarily mean sustainable straight away, but when it comes to connection to the environmental pillar of sustainability, isn't it just shocking that animal agriculture is a bigger contributor to greenhouse gases than the entire transportation sector, even if the contribution was only 18%. So ultimately removing animals from your supply chain could be an important sustainable sourcing choice for your company which is something what we decided to do with our entire Inelex portfolio animal-based or byproduct based feedstocks are banned in our new product development for us animal testing is also a thing of the past and never an option we strive to find alternative ways to verify the safety of our innovations going 100 vegan friendly was one big step forward of many to come and speaking of finding alternative ways to verify vegan cosmetics and raw materials, we are trying to be as cautious as possible because what can be quite surprising is a lot of vegan products may not be tested in a vegan compliant way. Just because it was not tested on animals doesn't automatically imply that a vegan test system has been used. Testing facilities may still use animal-derived components in the tests, such as the controversial fetal bovine serum. As an industry and future outcomes, we still have a long way to push the boundaries of what's possible for vegan beauty. Indeed we do, which is why we're having the program today. And at UpCircle Beauty, Anna, what environmental drivers are affecting you guys as you're growing, as your product range is growing, as your category range is growing? Well, it will come as no surprise that I think that the uh, current impact of COVID and obviously the recent heat waves that we've been having and climate change more broadly, as has been mentioned by uh, both of the others on this call today, is most certainly the biggest environmental impact that we're having. But I'll, I guess I'll speak more to the contradiction that Anna from Fairtrade mentioned earlier, because I think this is a really interesting one. Um, whilst we have all seen that ethical and vegan beauty claims have become massively mainstream in comparison to five or 10 years ago. What we have found from trying to understand more and more about our customer uh, in a more in-depth way is that this doesn't necessarily translate to their purchasing habits. So for example, um, the majority of vegan skincare consumers are not actually vegan themselves. Uh, and with our own audience, specifically for UpCircle, uh, that's nearly three quarters of our audience would not actually claim to be vegan themselves or, or live a vegan lifestyle, which I think is really interesting. What is it about this increase in uh, kind of the importance of talking about veganism and that not actually translating in consumers' choice to live a vegan lifestyle themselves? We asked questions like, 
on a scale from one to 10, how much of a vegan lifestyle would you say that you lead? And the most popular answers were two and eight. What does that mean? I'm not sure. <laughs> Another question that we had showed that the quality of the product is more important than the ethics of the product. Now, to an extent, perhaps that's not surprising. Um, but in a in a conversation like this, centered entirely on on veganism and the importance of uh, you know future proofing and why why we are choosing to prioritize this so much in our brand strategies and certifications and the products that we make, um, I think. My answer really is that we're still trying to understand uh, as a brand what it is that motivates our consumers and, and why it is that uh, we're putting veganism at the forefront when, when in actual reality, uh, still so many consumers um, don't wish to you know, pursue that lifestyle themselves. So yes, we see that, uh, you know, I think it's 175% increase in vegan cosmetic launches globally in the last five years. I mean, these are huge figures and uh, I don't think that will change anytime soon. It's only going to go up and up. Um, but I think in beauty products, perhaps we saw a rise of, of veganism in food. Then we saw a rise of veganism in beauty. But uh, based on our surveys that we've carried out every year of our business, we're actually noticing a trend back towards people um, Still prioritizing cruelty-free, but prioritizing uh, vegan less, <laughs> uh, which was a massive shock to us all. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I don't have a clear answer um, to this question, but uh, continuing to sort of try to understand um, what it is that pushes someone to purchase one product over another and whether, uh, to what extent, veganism plays a part in that. Wow. What a shift. What a right. turnaround from five years ago. Very interesting. Okay, so we were talk we touched on uh, testing. So at the Fair Trade Foundation, Anna, what are the current regulations aiding or bear betting the future proofing of vegan? Yeah, so I think there's a few. I mean, looking from a supply chain perspective, um, there's more and more coming in this space. Um, so, you know, governments are beginning to implement and introduce far more rigorous legislation relating to knowing your supply chain and making sure that you are being responsible in the way that you act as a business. Um, of course, we saw that with the Modern Slavery Act, but that kind of only targeted a certain subset of businesses um, and as a result you know you are seeing governments try and move this more broadly some are doing it in a similar way with regards to just having kind of blanket rules and what businesses must report on um, and that requires having quite a lot of evidence to back up claims that you want to make um, and others are doing it in very sort of product specific categories uh, so again going back to cocoa for example there's upcoming um, hrdd which is human rights due diligence and deforestation legislation, um, which will ask businesses to know where they're buying their cocoa from uh, and to make sure they are not contributing to deforestation uh, or human rights abuses through those purchases. Um, so you are seeing it with regards to what's in your supply chain itself. And I think that's very linked to legislation around claims you're allowed to make. And I think this is going to be one of the biggest shifts that the market sees um, is regulation to try and reduce the kind of wave of greenwashing that we've seen and that we know consumers don't want either. Um, so the CMA are going to bring out new regulations around green claims and what can you say is green and who's backing that up. And Obviously, from Fairtrade's perspective, you know, we're your third party verification. We have the auditor with the kind of certification you use, but lots and lots of products don't have that. And they do just make generic claims about, um, you know, veganism or animal friendly or earth friendly um, that they can't necessarily then verify and back up. And I think for the beauty industry, this is going to be one of the biggest shifts because, as Anna Brightman said earlier, there's so many ingredients um, involved in some of these beauty products 
knowing where they all come from can be a challenge. And I think that's going to shift some of the claims that then get made in the space. So um, yeah, a few kind of regulatory areas to watch. And at Inelex, Katie? Um, I'd like to mention examples, actually, one that substantiates the future proofing, the one that somewhat helps it, and the one that inhibits it. An example that fully supports vegan future proofing is a labeling scheme via the vegan trademark, which allows labeling your products clearly using vegan society logo. You can currently register individual products with vegan trademark, but not the whole brand can register as vegan. Maybe that's something that future holds. The second example that somewhat aids future proofing is halal certification. Now, let me clarify. We at Inelex made a great effort to receive halal certification for our entire product portfolio. Then since 2018, our entire portfolio is also vegan friendly. So we provide vegan statements in our product bulletin, but terms such as cruelty-free, not tested on animals, vegan, halal, they are different and people often misconfuse one for another. For example, halal does not always mean vegan and vice versa. And vegan products can include alcohol unlike halal. And halal certified products may contain part of permissible animals meat or bones. My point is, if consumers are educated and demystified about the differences and the definitions of these claims, this will aid for consumers to make a more conscious choice. There is a big probability they would then choose one of these options rather than any conventional cosmetics that contain animal-associated or animal-derived products. And the last example on the opposite side of the spectrum is... There was a new proposed legislation, specifically a bill introduced in US Senate that would prevent enforcement of laws that ban products that had been tested on animals in states such as California, where Inelex also operates. Despite this legislation being done in the name of consumer safety, it would mean an end to the push for cruelty-free cosmetics. The reauthorization of the bill is still in discussion and the legislation hasn't passed yet, but if the bill passes, it's very difficult to undo. So that would be an example that pushes back cruelty-free cosmetics. Challenging times and at Up Circle Beauty, Anna. Yeah, to be honest, I think I'll just completely agree with what Katie has just said and almost build on that. It's it's a bit of a minefield, if I'm honest. You know, vegan products do not have that much legal UK or EU definition regarding what you can and can't contain. And that lack of definition allows producers and manufacturers of vegan products on the same line as non-vegan products um, to have a lot of cross-contact. So, you know, we've talked about halal, but also... Uh, there's phrases like plant-based, which technically mean things that are different to vegan. So plant-based, as it sounds, suggests to the consumer that the product contains mostly or entirely contacts that are, uh, contains plant foods uh, without compromising the term vegan or the expectations of those following a vegan diet. But the actual regulation around the term plant-based is less strict than um, actually labelling something as, as suitable for vegans. And that's where, of course, as we've already discussed uh uh, certifications can come in really handy because they are rigorous and that's why people trust them. That's entirely their um, 
point is to set a standard, um, which is, you know, does all of the work for you as such. But we've started looking more at not just ingredients. I think often people think just about ingredients that go into a product. But what about what contains that product? Uh, the packaging is just as important. You can overlook uh, the inks that might have been used to print a cardboard box or the impact on the environment of animals of the materials that have been used to create uh, the packaging of a product, you know, does it lead to deforestation? Um, is 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 the wood from a certified, you know, sustainable source? Or if you're not using wood at all, uh, let's take sugarcane, for example, something which has become increasingly popular as brands and consumers turn their back on plastics. Well, actually, um, it's known that the use of uh, sugarcane leads to the disruption of leopard cubs uh, in India, where a lot of sugarcane comes from, from the harvest of sugarcane in fields. So, you know, does that mean that actually you can claim that the packaging itself is vegan? Uh, you have to take into account the welfare of the animals in the environments that are affected, not just by the ingredients themselves, but also uh, the ingredients or materials that go into the packaging as well. So that's something that we are looking at as a brand in order to continue to commit to be, um, you know, both a vegan and a cruelty-free brand. More broadly, when it goes back to ingredients, if there's any contentious discussion uh, our approach is just to completely avoid it and we take that approach with things like palm oil so we're totally free from palm oil but also um we recently were formulating an SBF, and there's a lot of talk around coral bleaching um with regards to ingredients like octinoxate or octibenzone now whilst this is still a big topic for debate you know to what extent are these ingredients actually causing coral bleaching uh, is widely debatable you can't really recreate those environments and a lot of it is actually down to the increase in the temperature of the water but until we've got concrete evidence to suggest one way or another our approach is just to completely avoid um but yeah there's a distinct lack of um definition i suppose uh with regards to vegan labeling, uh, which can cause a lot of confusion. So um, again, we just commit to doing what we can to understand everything that goes into our products and tracing that right back to the source. Wow. As you go into it, gets more deeper, gets more complex. Oh, so yeah. predictions, <laughs> predictions at the Fair Trade Foundation, Anna, what will vegan beauty category look like in five years time? Yeah, I mean, obviously, such a such a tricky one. Um, and as Anna Brightman spoke to, there's so so many challenges in this space. Um, I think I think it will grow. I think vegan beauty is here to stay. Um, I think, as kind of alluded to, people might find it challenging to be vegan in their diet, but where they can through beauty, they're really keen to support that as an industry. Um, but I think as part of that, and as transparency, you know, demands for that grow and regulation comes in, um, I'm sure there'll be far more awareness over the next five years in terms of who's behind these ingredients, what, you know, who's in the supply chain of these products. Um, we are predicting an increase in certification. So from the vegan side, you know, you know, the kind of vegan society and leaping bunny um, certifications that exist, um, but also at fair trade, we are also getting 
far more inquiries in the beauty space than we've ever had before um, and are launching with a variety of businesses we haven't historically worked with um, on fair trade beauty specifically as they become considerably more aware of consumer demand and supply chain challenges and want to invest in that. Um, so I think the next five years will see more regulation. It will see certification as kind of a tool that businesses can lean on. Um, and I think that will relate to kind of what's in store um, and also hopefully more initiatives to support some really vulnerable people in these supply chains. I mean, we've spoken about the social and environmental drivers, um, but of course the economic ones are huge um, and they're only going to worsen with the kind of cost of living crisis that we're seeing with the Ukrainian war that's happening with supply chain shortages, with inflation and with really low prices being paid to producers who didn't have, uh, you know, the savings in the first place to weather this storm. Um, and I think seeing businesses kind of double down and invest in those groups will be really important over the next five years if they want to future proof their supply chain. Indeed. And clearly, in the present, Inelex believe the future is vegan, Katie. But what will the market look like in five years' time? I will expand on the challenges that both Anna's mentioned. For example, well, you can register individual products with vegan trademark, as I said, but if you were to consider registering the whole company as vegan, that's not just possible yet. Vegan society might consider certifying a whole brand. I think 10 years ago, there was the sunflower standard that tried to do that, but it's just too difficult. There are too many things that need to be vegan in this case. Details such as what food you're catering to your staff. Is the stationery, like Anna Brightman mentioned, printing ink, is that vegan-based? Is the clothing you're wearing vegan-based? Are the staff themselves vegan but that's just so hard to accomplish if you were to go and buy vegan groceries for yourself you wouldn't expect staff in the supermarket to be vegan so that level of detail cannot be expected from everybody it would be a huge challenge to certify a whole brand but i can see some efforts already um, there have been efforts such as a scheme called vegan founded the scheme tries to certify entire businesses and people. The way how they operate is the same way how other trademark symbols do. So questionnaires, signing legal declaration that founders are vegan. So if this was breached, they are technically speaking committing a fraud. But that can be controversial because what happens if the vegan CEO then turns carnival? But in general, this demand for complete transparency is only going to be ongoing, especially from global corporate brands. Yet again, that's currently difficult to achieve as well because their sister companies might not be vegan. That might not resonate with the target audience. Consumers will still push for more attention to detail, especially vegan consumers in the UK as I said, they are heavily driven by the ethical aspect. And I've noticed a pattern where they wouldn't want the profit to go to any business nor its stakeholders that do not condone with the vegan principles. I'll also refer to digital tools having a great potential in the future, especially the ones I've mentioned previously. Consumers have been struggling with making their purchase choices because it is hard to avoid all 
animal-derived ingredients. From my own experience, I have an example. Glycerin can be derived from animal fats, but from plant oils too. Then how would you know your glycerin-containing product is truly vegan? You would have to liaise with your suppliers for reassurance. So I couldn't highlight more how important it is to have a trustworthy raw material supplier relationship. And to conclude all the predictions I have, we had a discussion during one of our business lunches a few weeks ago, and we debated how in the far future, there might not be any meat options in the restaurants anymore. It could become a norm, you know, and same applies for the beauty industry. Vegan beauty might become a norm. And if we have easier access and wider selection of vegan cosmetics, why wouldn't the consumers go for these forms rather than the conventional ones, especially if the performance of the product isn't compromised? So as consumers continue to go vegan and governments continue to ban animal testing, animal-based and animal-tested beauty will continue to be subject to scrutiny. It already is. Interesting. So upcycle beauty, Anna. Do you see the future as vegan being the norm? Well, unsurprisingly, uh, yes, <laughs> I agree with both Katie and Anna. Um, we've discussed, I think, consumers today are extremely well-informed, principled and enlightened shoppers. Uh, so whilst the majority of consumers may not actually consume a vegan diet, the vegan beauty market is undoubtedly on the rise and is in fact projected to reach over $20 billion by 2027. So this is obviously no longer a fringe category. Vegan skincare and makeup products are sold in major mainstream retailers across the globe. You only need to look at television adverts um, that were the same brands that were still around sort of 15, 20 years ago that just have completely different messaging to understand the fact that this really is continuing to rise and is not going to be going away anytime soon. So yes, whilst I've talked today or we've all talked today about confusing terms and confusing contradictions when trying to understand our consumers and their purchasing choices, also understanding the struggles regarding the impact of the pandemic, of war, of the rising cost of living, we as a brand remain committed to being a vegan and cruelty-free brand. This is something we have all Always been and we will always be. For us, to be honest, it's just a no-brainer. It, it feels like the least we can do. And we also don't feel like we are missing out on anything at all by excluding animal byproducts from our, our ingredients, our packaging, or anything else. So uh, in short, yes, I, I definitely think that this is going to go up and up and up. And with that, I would like to thank my guests, Anna Barker, Katie Noon, and Anna Brightman for joining me today and to you for listening.